This is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. It has it all. UFOs in the sky, mass panic on the ground, government agencies in the shadows, and paranoia in the air. And make sure you stick around for the end, where I spring on Lee one of the weirdest surprise twists I've ever come across in my years of researching. This is only a test. This is only a test. This is only a test. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Lee Kunla, and with me, as always, in the bunker, is Professor Nathan Radke. Because that's what we're talking about. Yes, and in fact, I wanted to start right off the bat. Yeah, you're, get, you're a, coming in hot here. Yeah, with a bit of a discussion about this episode. Okay. I mean, I think this stuff is fascinating. I also think it's important. But... I should state that in this episode, we will be discussing some unpleasant things. Right. Unlike all the other episodes that we've talked about, which have all been lighthearted and fun and nobody got hurt. Right. Well, <laughs> I'm, I, th- I think it's fair right at the beginning, rather than saying like halfway through, oh, by the way, this is about to take a dark turn. Yes. I'm going to say it at the beginning, dark turn. Right. We have been leading up to this, though. True. We, uh, we're back to doing the... History of modern-day UFO mythology, I guess. We started with the hilarious 1950s contactee movements where people were going to dinner with Venusians. Yep, adorable. We then went to the 60s with Betty and Barney Hill's abduction story. Yeah, a little scarier. And now we're talking about the next phase. And as as we keep... Moving in this direction, things do get darker. Yeah. Things get more sinister. Yeah. Animals are going to get hurt in this episode. Yeah, I want to have a list of animals that are going to be hurt so people know going in. Okay. Okay, so lots of cows get mutilated in this. Okay. Uh, At least one horse. Right. Okay. There are going to be 600 beagle puppies. Oh, no. See, now I'm mad. Who are going to be threatened. Okay, okay. It's. But they are saved at the last second. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of hamsters that don't make it. Yeah, okay. So, now, I'm not going to be gratuitous, obviously. I'm not going to go into great gruesome detail. Right. But I just wanted to state right at the beginning, like, some stuff's going to get murked here. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Okay, so this is a UFO story, as you were saying. Yeah. And so far, things have been kind of light and kind of hilarious. Yeah. When we go back to the 50s and 60s, we see there's, like, two basic themes when it comes to UFOs. Either they're going to invade us, in right. which case the government will protect us from the invasion, right? or they are coming down to warn us about the terrible decisions we're making. Right. Those I remember the, that. Yeah, yeah, those are the two things. They're both completely Cold War related. Yeah. Because either they're kind of analogous for the invasion by the Soviet Union, like right. they're that, a stand-in that, for the Soviets. That's the bad one. Those are the bad ones. Or they're coming down to warn us about our folly, and our folly, of course, was the Cold War. And then we move to the later 60s, where we had an alien abduction, the first really famous one. Yep. But even then, it was kind of a pleasant abduction. Like, there was some scary aspects to it, but the aliens were very polite. They were very human. They were very human. One of them was almost Irish. Yeah, yeah, one of them was Irish, one of the aliens. 
And they were kind of gentle and nobody gets hurt. That's right. I remember there were star charts and there were discussions on the ship. And there, were, there was a medical exam, but it was quite tame. It was yeah. not invasive. Yep. Things still seemed kind of gentle. Then we hit the 70s. And things are going to take quite a turn as far as our relationship to UFOs and aliens. Okay. But I'm actually going to start in the late 60s very briefly. Of course you are. I'm surprised you're not starting in the 1860s. Yeah, I'm going to start in the 1260s. <laughs> September 7th, 1967, in the San Luis Valley of Southern Colorado. There's a three-year-old horse named Lady who was found in a small flat clearing near the ranch where she lived. Okay. Now, her body had been stripped of flesh from the neck up. And I've seen photographs of this dead horse. And it is pretty weird. It's like a horse's body with a horse's skull and neck attached to it. Yeah, that's creepy. It's it's creepy. It's like bone, dried, clean bone, and then like a hard line, and then the horse's body. Wow. It's very strange. And the skeleton that showed was was like clean and white, as if it had been out in the sun for days, but she'd only been missing for two nights. Now, a nearby rancher named Harry King said that the flesh on the neck had been cut off so smoothly, it couldn't have been done even with a sharp hunting knife. Okay. And... Lady's tracks stopped about 100 feet southeast of where her body was found, Hmm. which is a bit strange. Yeah. There were no other tracks around. Yeah. There had been many reports before Lady was found of strange lights in the sky. Okay. Now, this is important. It wasn't that they found this weird dead horse and then said, hey, haven't there also been UFOs? Right. There had clearly been a bunch of UFO sightings before the horse was even found. Okay. Now, Lady was owned by a rancher named Nellie Lewis, And she called uh, the sheriff, Ben Phillips, and he didn't even go out to bother seeing the horse. He assumed it was probably caused by a combination of maybe lightning or coyotes or something. But Nellie Lewis had a different culprit in mind. She told the Pueblo Chieftain, local newspaper, that UFOs were responsible. Okay. So I've got a uh, quote here from the Pueblo Chieftain. Mrs. Charles Blundell, wife of the maintenance crew foreman at the Great Sands National Monument, said Friday the latest sightings brought back to her mind a curious incident which happened to her in later 1966. Mrs. Blundell said she saw a crescent-shaped object over the sand dunes last December. Later, she painted a picture of what she had seen. During the last summer, a peculiar man approached her and asked to buy the painting. She said she did not want to sell, but did set an exorbitant price on the painting. She said the man, who said he was not of your world, told her he would return in October to buy the painting. He has not returned. So that's a newspaper article about the death of this horse, where they put into it this section about, oh, and also this lady saw something weird in the sky, made a painting, and a spaceman offered to buy it off of her, but never came back. That's bizarre. The 60s. The 60s were great. (laughs) The Salem, Oregon newspaper, The Statesman, had a headline which I think is a masterclass in headline writing. This might be my favorite headline of all time. All right, give it to me. Horse killed, UFO blamed. Yeah, okay. Like, you're going to read that story. I think that should be the title of this episode. Horse killed, UFO blamed. That's not bad. What we have is weird lights in the sky. Mm -hmm. We have a strange phenomenon in terms of what happens to this horse pretty much right afterwards. Yep. We have authority figures who come up with some lame explanation that clearly does not match the facts. Yep. Because lightning isn't going to do this and coyotes aren't going to do this. They're not going to like just lick clean the head of a horse and leave the rest of the body with a 
precision what? surgical cut surgical cut between the head and the body and now we have newspapers getting involved making the connection that maybe people are already making but making it quite explicitly yeah yeah what we have here is the makings of a classic episode of the uncover up it's got all of the things right. we need right it's got authorities being sort of incompetent or covering something up yeah it's got media like, just jumping on the hype train. Media jumping on the hype train. It's got wild speculation. It's got those false, potentially false, logical connections. Yeah. What is it? That this is a classic post hoc ergo, ergo proctor hoc. <laughs> oh, dear. Nerd. Basically, what's happening here is like right from Jump Street, UFOs are in the mix. Yeah. There's a weird thing happening, and immediately people are like UFOs. It reminds me of like the Seattle windshield epidemic where there's chips and windshield and people are like, aliens? Right. It's got to be of aliens. Of course. And aliens, I've started to notice, are a stand-in explanation for when you don't have a good explanation. Yeah. Not everybody reaches for that, but hey, how did the ancient Egyptians build the pyramids? I don't know. Must yeah. be aliens. Aliens, probably. Where are my car keys? <laughs> aliens. Fortunately, there was a pathologist and a hematologist available okay. to investigate this. He happened to be visiting the area, Dr. John Altschuler. Okay. And local police asked him to examine Lady's corpse. And in an interview, admittedly 20 years later, but he was interviewed, he reported, At the edge of the cut, there was a darkened color, as if the flesh had been opened and cauterized with a surgical cauterizing blade. The outer edges of the cut skin were firm, almost as if they had been cauterized with a modern-day laser. But there was no surgical laser technology like that in 1967. Most amazing was the lack of blood. I have done hundreds of autopsies. You can't cut into a body without getting some blood. But there was no blood on the skin or on the ground. No blood anywhere. That impressed me the most. So here we have an expert. I mean, that's handy. He is a hematologist. He is a pathologist. So mm -hmm. that's extremely handy that we have an expert in this area who is there to examine this horse. Although I could have also told you that if you cut people, you will get blood. Yeah, but you're no pathologist. You're <laughs> I'm no, no expert. You're no that's hematologist. That's you have true. many that's good true. qualities, but you, sir, are no hematologist. <laughs> that is, okay, fair enough. But here's the thing about Altschuler is that he was kind of primed to see something weird in this corpse. Okay. Because the reason he was there, the reason the police knew he was there, is that the police had stumbled across this doctor in a park in, like, dawn after this guy was out in a park all night. And why was he out in a park all night? He had gone there to look for UFOs. Oh, okay. In fact, he said about the reason he was there. I took a Friday off, packed my wife and three young children in the car, and took off as if going on a long weekend vacation. But my true intent was to find out what was happening with UFOs in San Luis Valley. Right. So this guy was looking for UFOs, mm. which basically means that he was already kind of primed. And like, how important is priming to our perceptions of things? So this is an actual concept within psychology. I'm no hematologist and I'm no psychologist, but we do use this concept often, especially when it comes to ambiguous data. When you are faced with something and you're not entirely sure what you're seeing, having some kind of cues ahead of time or expectations often will impact your interpretation. You can see this when you're looking at highly degraded images in which there is actually something there, 
what you're expecting to see based on what people have told you, what you believe, what your culture tells you will lead you to interpret that in certain ways. Yeah. Or, I mean, we do this even in our interpersonal relationships. If there's a person who says something that could be like a bit of an insulting jab, yeah. or it could be, you know, like a, just a harmless comment, Right. depending on what we think of that person, yep. we're going to hear an insulting jab or we're going to hear uh, an innocent comment. Yep. And so that doesn't discredit what he has said about this horse, but it does point out, okay, but this guy was looking for UFO evidence and he had spent all night staring up at the sky, hoping to see UFOs. Right. So are we in a flap? Well, at this point, no, we're not oh. in a flap yet. There is this event and there's a bit of press about it, but there, there aren't enough incidents yet for this to become a flap. Okay. In fact, it kind of quiets down. I see. And it's almost forgotten about. Oh, okay. And now we're out of the 60s. Oh, and now? And now we're in the 70s. Okay. And now the terror is going to begin. So there's very few examples of cattle or horse corpses found between the discovery of Lady and then like 1973. But in 1973, things get lit up. Okay. There's a 1973 panic, a flap, that encompasses Kansas and South Dakota and Minnesota, like a bunch of different states. What happens is a bunch of cattle were discovered in various states of mutilation. And at this point, there's been enough incidents that certain characteristics start getting associated with these dead animals. For one thing, there are certain parts of the bodies removed. The tongue, genitals, udder, anus, rectum, eyes, and ears. Hmm. The cuts are often referred to as being too smooth, to have been anything other than a professional surgeon working with like high-tech proper tools. The cows appear to have fallen over dead with no evidence of a struggle or a fight. And most ominously, it is consistently reported that there are no tracks around the bodies of the cows. Okay. So how does that happen? I could imagine as a rancher, you're dealing with this kind of threat all the time. Your cows are your livelihood. Yeah. And cow theft or potentially vandals or hooligans. Or, or, or copycats. <laughs> Like, people hear about cattle mutilations, right. and they're like, hey, I'm bored. It's yeah. Colorado. Right. It's 1973. <laughs> There's nothing to do. Let's go do some of that. Right. So you think then you would be able to discover tracks. You'd yeah. be able to discover some kind of signs that this is clearly being done by people, even if they had, say, surgical instruments. Yeah, because they still got feet. Right. And so it was reported there was no tracks around the bodies of the cows. By 1974, the reports of mutilations had increased, and a new element was added to the reports that we saw back in the days of Lady. The cows had been completely drained of blood. Okay. And so I ask you, who's going to want a ton of cow blood? Sausage makers? Gross. Well, yeah, but there's blood sausage. By 1975, there was cattle mutilations being reported in Dallas, in Oklahoma, like they are all over the place now. Right. And now the New York Times is getting in on it. Law enforcement officials and cattlemen are investigating numerous mutilation killings of cattle throughout North Texas and Oklahoma that some say may be the work of Satanist cults. More than 50 mutilations have been reported in 12 rural communities surrounding the Dallas metropolitan area. The animals have been drained of blood and the sexual organs, lips, and ears have been removed. I think when all this thing shakes down, we'll find out it's cults, said John Dunn, president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. 
So in the same way that you mentioned that aliens are a stand-in for when something mysterious happens, at this time period, clearly Satanists were also one of those stand-ins. Right. And it's amazing how quickly somebody makes a speculation. Yeah. And then treats that speculation as fact. I really am noting this phrase, some say. Yeah. Some it say may is, be. Some yeah. say it may be. There are so many conditionals in that. You could say anything after that, and yeah. I guess it would technically be true. There's 7 billion of us. Someone will say something about something that might be. I mean, it's the, it's the worst sentence in journalism that then opens the door to all kinds of chicanery and flim-flam and nonsense. Both chicanery and flim-flam. Both of it. This stayed in the public consciousness for a while. In fact, there's another New York Times article that came out a couple months later. Some theorists here have speculated that the killings are being done by satanic cultists who use the animal organs in black magic rites. Because there have been no tracks near the scenes of the killings, one local lawman believes the perpetrators use a helicopter to swoop down at night on an unsuspecting herd, do their dirty work, then make their getaway by air. In Lake Villa, Illinois, where two calves were found mutilated earlier this month, the police suggested that the mutilations might be linked to the Oregon group said to be enlisting followers for a trip to outer space. Wow, that has got everything in it. I mean, we've got Satanists, we've got a cult, they're going to space. And it's all in the New York Times. Now, I want to briefly, this is not having anything to do with this, but I need to talk about that last sentence. Because when I read that last sentence, I thought, that sounds wildly familiar. That there's the, the mutilations are linked to an Oregon group that is said to be enlisting followers for a trip to outer space. Okay. Do you know why that sounds so familiar? Do you know who that group became? Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. It's the Heaven's Gate it's group. It's the Heaven's Gate group, who we'll and, do an episode on eventually, and right. we should know we, how that ends. Should, we, okay. We have spoiled it, I think, in a previous episode. We won't spoil it in this one. But it ends badly. It ends really badly. And so it was chilling for me to look back and to see that group, knowing what becomes of them, seeing them just sort of casually mentioned. You know, some people are saying these cattle mutilations are done by this Oregon group that would eventually become Heaven's Gate. And they're trying, they're already trying to get to outer space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is sad to see this. Well, it's like seeing a disaster ahead of time. Yeah, it feels like seeing the train wreck in slow motion. You, yep. you see the two trains are heading towards each other, and in 20 or 30 years, they're going to collide. It's going to collide. So by 1975, as you say, the three main hypotheses to explain the cattle mutilations, they're all in play. we got satanic cults, we've got like some kind of weird shadowy government agency maybe, and we've got UFOs. Wow. So let's start with Satan. Okay. Let's start with the hypothesis that satanic cults are performing dark, sacrificial rituals. Okay. Why would this be uppermost in people's minds? Why would they see a dead cow and think, oh, this has got to be Satanists? What happens at the end of the 1960s that gets people sort of on the alert, looking out for things like satanic cults? What's like one main event that really drove that point home for people? I think that there is a fear of Satanism in America. We did the Salem Witch episode. This sure. is something that goes back historically for hundreds of years. It is an element of American religious culture. I think this, this worry about the activities of Satan. 
But then you're right, Nathan, at the end of the 60s, there's this media spectacle that really drives this worry home. We have the hippie movement, and the hippie movement, I think, can best be understood as basically a reaction to the Second World War. There's the baby boom. Yep. Right, that happens after people this. come home from World War II. They have a bunch of kids. This is what my grandparents did. Right, that's what my grandparents did. This yeah. is why we're here. Yeah, we're it's true. we're descended of the boomers. So you have the baby boom, and when they become teenagers and in their twenties, there's this sort of reckoning with history, and part of that is captured in the hippie movement, where young people are really focusing on a new kind of society based on love, based on reduced sexual limits, fewer sexual taboos. There's going to be... No hangups, man. Yeah, there's going to be rock and roll and there's going to be drugs and there's going to be... Nudity. Nudity, but also maybe a version of socialism or something even more redistributive than that. And it is a pretty optimistic movement. But of course, the older generation is skeptical and worried and within this movement emerges charles manson right and charles manson i was thinking about how to describe this if you took a hippie a neo-nazi and their survivalist prepper imagine in in this weird fantasy that i'm concocting for us that this child is the product of those three types of people those three Mm. types of ideologies you would get charles manson Charles Manson is a hippie neo-Nazi prepper with a kind of, yeah, his ideology is really dark. He is, to a large extent, the product of institutionalism and being institutionalized. He was institutionalized from the age of 13 and was basically in prison up until uh, 67 is when, when he gets out. And he is, uh, he creates a cult where he, preys on vulnerable people, runaways, people who are, you know, know, drug addicts and gamblers and pornographers. These are the actual members of his group. And he calls them the family. And long and short of it is as part of some ideology of race war, Charles Manson thinks that there is going to be a race war in the United States. And he wants to participate, get in front of it in a way he wants to start it up he wants to start it the the idea being that racialized people are going to rise up and execute or murder and execute uh, the white majority of america except for the manson family who are holed up somewhere in you know the desert dropping acid while this goes down his idea is he's going to start this race war by getting his followers to murder a bunch of people, which they do, including the actor Sharon Tate, who I think was pregnant. She was. So very sad. And And, and a terrible, awful killing. And the the scene itself, there's like blood everywhere. This is like just a gruesome slaughtering of human beings. The family who participates, Charles Manson actually himself doesn't directly participate in the murders. Those who do have dinner with the corpses lying around. Like, it's just horrendous. No, it's chilling. It's awful. Now, what happens, though, is this becomes a media spectacle. The family and who these people are is part of the news. It's part of newspapers. It's it's consumed for entertainment. And I think a lot of people in the mainstream establishment 
felt vindicated that, well, this is exactly what we expected. We knew that... This is what the hippies will get you. This is exactly what hippie-dumb will get you. Drugs, illicit sex, rock and roll music is going to produce this kind of satanic outcome. Yeah. Charles Manson himself really lent into that. And he himself also kind of brought this notion of Satanism to the forefront. I think that's the why... Satanism is now in the air by the time we reach the 70s. The hippie movement has, in a sense, died. Yeah, between Manson and the disaster at the Altamont concert, where the Hells Angels, like, shiv a guy to death yeah. in front of the Rolling Stones. So, in 1970, an author named Ed Sanders, remember that name, he comes back, he had gone undercover in the California counterculture, and he posed as a pornographer, a Satanist, a drug user, a maniac, like basically whatever it would take to get him in with different counterculture groups. And in his writings, he claimed that he had heard many secondhand stories about a large satanic organization named the Sons of Satan, who performed both animal and human sacrifices. In 1971, in Vineland, New Jersey, this is tragic, but a 20-year-old man named Mike Newell was found drowned in a sandpit pond with his hands and feet bound with tape. Now, according to the 18-year-old and the 17-year-old who were arrested for the murder, the killing was done with Newell's permission. He belonged to a Satan worshiper sect and needed to be killed violently so he could be put in charge of, quote, 40 leagues of demons, unquote. Hmm. I don't know how many demons that is. It's a lot of demons, I guess. 40 leagues of them? Now... Police claimed that Newell had a large amount of satanic literature and, and I warned you guys about this, Newell had previously performed ritual sacrifice of hamsters. Okay. Seems like a leap, though. Seems like a leap from killing hamsters to having your buddies murder you. Yeah, at the same time, if I knew somebody who was murdering hamsters, I'd be like, uh, i got to keep an eye on that guy because that is not normal. So there was a local Pentecostal minister named Harry Snook one of those kids that was charged with the murder was actually in his congregation. Okay. And he was interviewed and had this to say. So this is again from the New York Times. Mr. Snook sees nothing startling in the apparently growing interest on the part of youths in black magic and worshipping the devil. These kids are looking for something. They're so empty, he said. The minister added that Satan worship was just the next step beyond the drug fad or, more correctly, something to go along with the drug-taking. Many of the youths, he said, started out by reading about Oriental religions and spiritism, then moved on to ritual sacrifice of small animals. Now, here's a little bit of inside info for the listeners. Lee had to read that last sentence like six times, because you kept... I kept breaking out laughing. Because there are some problems with that last sentence. <laughs> yeah, there are some problems with that last sentence. I mean, leaving aside the phrase oriental, it's like, uh, sure, language changes. It's not a word that's used now. Right. People used it then. Leaving that aside for now. Yes. The idea that studying Asian religions would inevitably lead to animal sacrifice. Right. Let's look at the Asian religions very quickly. We got Taoism. Yes. Animal sacrifice? No. Buddhism? No. Confucianism? No. Shintoism? No. So, like, what is this an example of? Like, this person, again, is very certain in what he's saying. He's yeah. like, hey, the kids are studying, like, Shinto. Right. And then, of course... They're, they're being seduced by all these horrendous ideas over there. Right. And then, of course, leaping right to ritual sacrifice of small animals. Again, it's that combination of not knowing what you're talking about and being very certain in what you're talking about. Yeah. Which can lead to chaos. 
But, I mean, it does show that, again, this idea of the satanic cult, it was forefront in people's minds. Yep. Now, because of the helicopters that have been spotted near the mutilation zones, and because helicopters are very expensive, the cult, the satanic cult, must have been a wide-ranging one, featuring extremely wealthy and influential members. According to the Colorado Springs Gazette-Telegraph, which uh, is Colorado Springs' most trusted source, according to the Colorado Springs Gazette-Telegraph, the mutilations provided a glimpse into a satanic organization with national political overtones, which has grandiose plans of bringing about a 1,000-year reign of terror and darkness. And that's from Colorado Springs' most trusted source. Wow. So people are like, no, it's on. Yep. The Satanists are here. Yep. Everyone fear. You've got the makings of a moral panic right yeah. here. Do we ever? And what was all the blood for? Well, according to Montana lawman Captain Keith Wolverton, he had received information from another police officer who believed that a coven of satanic witches would first inject a cow with PCP. Okay. Write this down. This is like a recipe. Yeah, this is a for, recipe. For, for satanic yeah. ritual abuse. Okay. First inject the cow with PCP. Then sacrifice the cow. Okay. Then drink its PCP-laden blood. I say. Then, quote, trip out, end quote. We probably should add, for those listeners under the age of, like, 50 or whatever, what is PCP? Angel dust. Okay, still, you've got to go further. This is another term for something that nobody under the age of us has ever heard before. Right. This was a drug, a real drug. Yep. That was pretty big in the 70s and 80s. People used it as a hallucinogen. It's We don't recommend it. It, it was dangerous. No, the, the official uncover-up position is don't do PCP. I'm okay with that. Right? Yeah. But is this a good way to do PCP? Not having done it myself, I don't know, but I feel like no. I feel like as soon, by the time something has gotten into the bloodstream, it must have been somewhat metabolized. Yeah. Also, what are your doses here? Like, yeah. how do you dose something like this? Yeah, there's, there seems to be a lot of problems with this hypothesis also sorry why not just get like some cow blood and put the pcp in there why give it to the cow first then sacrifice the cow then drink the blood seems very convoluted i have a question for you okay why wouldn't people just take the pcp right well i don't know because it seems like the blood is an important part of their yeah oh, okay okay so now to call this a theory is is really stretching the definition of what a theory means. Right. I mean, it is a theory, but a very implausible one. It's not a theory in the scientific sense. In the scientific sense. Scientific, in the scientific like sense. <laughs> so where does it come from? It comes from firsthand accounts of this massive satanic cult from a man named Kenneth Bankston. Okay. Now, Kenneth Bankston was in a federal prison for serious crimes. And he came forward when the cattle mutilations were in the news and said, hey, I've got info on this satanic group that you're looking for, I'll give it to you if you let me out of prison. Uh-huh. Okay. And so they agreed. Whoa! They said, okay, we'll move you into, from this, like, federal state prison into, like, a little rural jail. So it'll be more comfortable, it'll be, you know, wow. less dangerous, and, as we'll see, much easier to break out of. Okay. So this is what Bankston said. He said there was a group called The Occult, and yep. they traveled around the American West and Midwest, pumping cattle and humans with PCP, then pumping out all their blood and cutting off their genitals. So this is where the guy that told the guy that told the papers, this is where this story comes from. Okay. It comes from this prisoner, Bankston. So you're saying it's not a great source? Well, it's... Well, we'll see. 
So the occult, the name of this group, the un, un, unimaginative name of this group, they counted amongst its members many extremely wealthy and powerful men who Bankston named. It's okay. Like, it's this guy and this guy and this guy. The occult's final plan was to assassinate several politicians and then use stolen plutonium to set off a nuclear bomb and begin 1,000 years of darkness. Right. Like we heard in that other newspaper article. Right, right, right. So this guy is the source for all of that speculation that happened. Now, this testimony was put into a report by ATF agent Donald Flickinger, which started making the rounds amongst police departments and states with cattle mutilation issues and then eventually got into the press. And that's why all of these stories started getting repeated. And as I said, in return for his testimony, he was moved from the Fed prison to a low-security rural jail, according to him, so he would be safe from reprisals because the occult had a long arm that reached right into Bankston's prison, apparently. Wow. That and, is some racket to get out of jail. Yeah, and then he escaped. And then right. he busted out of the... And he goes on the lam. But meanwhile, the Flickinger report was reproduced in Esquire magazine in 1975. And it was used as the basis for a fictional novel by author Beatrice Sparks in 1979 titled Jay's Journal. And now I need to go off on a bit of a tirade against this author, Beatrice Sparks. Okay. I've got a personal issue with her. All right. Okay, so Beatrice Sparks, who was she? She was a Mormon youth minister. Okay. And she was also a bit of a scammer. She was like a scam queen. Okay. What she would do in the 1970s and 80s is she would write books pretending they were the diaries of children. Okay. She wrote one called Go Ask Alice. So when I was a kid, I stumbled across this book. Really? Yeah, and I read it, and I was horrified because Go Ask Alice is the diary of a teenage girl who starts to get into LSD and then gets into harder drugs and then eventually dies of an overdose. Okay. And it's presented as this sort of real thing that happened. Okay. But it wasn't a real journal. It was written by Beatrice Sparks. Right. Because that was her that was her scam. Was her she thing. would pretend that these were found journals, but it, they were just her writing them. And she wrote one called Jay's Journal, where she took 21 diary entries from an actual kid who had actually taken his own life. Oh, no. In 1971. And then she added 200 other entries about falling into an occult group and using a Ouija board and mutilating a cow and oh, getting the powers no. of ESP and getting the powers of levitation and then getting taken over by a demon. Okay. And this book was put out and it was wildly popular and people thought it was a real diary. Right. And this was a real kid. Right, yeah. But his family was like, no, there was nothing in his actual diary about Satanism or the occult. Mm. So she just exploited the death of this kid, pumped a bunch of moral panic stuff into it, yeah. put it out into the world, yeah. based on the stuff that Bankston had said in order to bust out of jail. Anyway, I'm, I got issues with No, I with can scammers. see why. Like, it's just... Gross. And it's just scams on scams because yeah. you got the prisoner and he's like, ooh, I'm going to scam these guys telling them the story to get yeah. out of prison. Yeah. And then you get Beatrice Sparks who's like, ooh, I'm going to scam people and say that I found this diary. Right. Which is actually, it's like scams on, it's scams all the way down. Right. And then, of course, Jay's journal would go on to influence pop culture and contribute to the great satanic panic of the 1980s. Right, right. Because well, once you put his, stuff out there, it, off it goes into the world as an organism. Now... The leads and tips given by Bankston, the prisoner to Flickinger, surprisingly didn't pan out. Ha! Huh. It started to Go appear. The, yeah, it started to appear. It's like, wait, I think this whole thing might be a scam made up by Bankston and some of his pals as a way of being put in a place that would be easier to break out. Right. But like, like we said, it was out there. It was taking on a life of its own. But this is an interesting question. How was it taking on a life of its own? Because of course, 
we've gotten so used to the internet, everything can immediately take on a life of its own. A kid can say he likes corn, and then that will be everywhere in like a week. But how did it happen back then? This was, and this is going to be shocking to people, this was happening before the internet. Right. You do have mass media. Mm -hmm. So publishers are making money. Yep. So they're sending out these books to probably libraries and, uh, and other places where you and I and other young people at that time would have access to this. It's in the newspapers. That's going around. It was kind of like an analog mini internet amongst people who had an interest in things like cattle mutilations. They would form small networks mm. and they would like physically through the mail pass along like clipped newspaper stories. Right. Or small run newspapers or what we would eventually call zines in the 90s. Right. Or face-to-face -face meetings or people would talk on the telephone about it, radio call-in shows. Right. And cassette tapes of radio interviews. Like people oh, would pass yeah. around cassette tapes. That's what we did before the internet. And they were passing around information about satanic cults and cattle mutilation. Now, the cops were also in on this, obviously. Uh, local police forces, when they were comparing the hypotheses, the local police forces tend to lean towards the cult hypothesis. Okay. And that's because cults would have been under their jurisdiction. Right. Because, like, massive government conspiracies and aliens not under the jurisdiction of local police. Right. Now, a lot of ranchers and other interested parties were like, okay, local police, eh, we need the FBI in on this. Okay. In a September 3rd, 1975 edition of the Denver Post, the editor Charles Bruxton said, If the FBI will not enter the investigation of mysterious livestock deaths in Colorado in some adjacent states, then Senator Floyd Haskell should take the matter to Congress for resolution. There is already federal involvement. Consider this. Because of the gun-happy frame of mind developing in eastern Colorado where most of the incidents have been occurring, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management has had to cancel a helicopter inventory of its lands in six counties. Officials are simply afraid their helicopters might be shot down by ranchers and others frightened by cattle deaths. Wow. This is getting... It's getting real now. This is getting real. Yeah. They're like, we can't fly helicopters over these areas because ranchers will shoot those helicopters down. Right. What that uh, newspaper editor didn't realize is that, that Senator Floyd Haskell had already requested help from the FBI that summer. But the FBI was staying out of the cattle mutilation game. How come? It's in part because the FBI had kind of been rampaging out of control for two decades. Right. As you know, the FBI and the CIA, this is a common theme in so many of the things that we've researched. The FBI and the CIA spent the 50s and 60s f***ing around. And in the 70s... They found out. Exactly. Church committee. Yeah. <laughs> so here's just some evidence of that from an FBI memo to the FBI director from the Albuquerque office. The Albuquerque FBI recommends that FBI HQ point out to the Justice Department that if the FBI is asked to conduct investigation into cattle mutilations of which the FBI has no jurisdiction, we will be opening ourselves to criticism similar to criticism we have received in the past for investigating matters wherein we have no jurisdiction. Because they really had been. Like, they had been getting into some, like, they had wildly overstepped their jurisdiction. The yeah. FBI was out of control. COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO. They were, like, infiltrating democratic political organizations yep. in order to disrupt them. Yep, yep. Civil rights movement. It was, it was a disgrace. And so they're like, uh, we've been, like, kind of out of control lately. We need to tamp things down because people, again, are starting to learn about it. So by 1976, it became clear that the Satanist angle wasn't getting anywhere. The cattle kept getting mutilated, but there was no massive shadowy Satanist organization emerging, and none of the leads had paid off. 
The helicopters, on the other hand, were figuring more prominently in the stories that were being spread around. And increasingly, people were starting to wonder how even a wealthy group of Satanists could afford to acquire, maintain, and staff a fleet of helicopters. Right. But you know who could do that? Aliens. I'm just, I'm just going with the flow here. I'm just going to say aliens anytime I don't know the answer. The government. Right. We'll get to the aliens. Of course. You can't just lead with the aliens. We're going to come back to the aliens. <laughs> Why in the world would people be suspicious of the government in the mid-1970s? Well, in 1968 at the Dugway Proving Ground in Utah, the Army accidentally released VX nerve agent from an F-4 fighter plane and killed about 4,000 sheep from a nearby ranch. He just said that so he could say an airplane name. The Vietnam War, of course, had just ended, and the helicopter, as I'm sure you know, featured very prominently in footage of that war. Yep. And that war was, in addition to the actual destruction it caused, it was also very psychically scarring for people. Yeah. Uh, 1973, the U.S. Air Force wanted to kill 200 Beagle puppies to test the dangers of jet exhaust, and the Army, not to be outdone, wanted to kill 400 Beagle puppies to test poison gases. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I, I would be mad. Uh, knowing that they didn't actually get killed makes me feel slightly better. And it's just funny that they're trying to one-up each other by yeah. killing more puppies. I want 200 puppies. I want 400 puppies. And then the newspapers found out about it, and they're like, fine, we'll kill zero puppies, crybabies. And in 1976, the Senate Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Activities discussed the horrors of COINTELPRO. And the horrors of CIA biological agents programs. In 1977, the joint hearing with Subcommittee on Health and Scientific Research on the Committee on Human Resources exposed MKUltra. And we have, uh, just just to add to the list, we have uh, Nixon and Watergate. We've got Watergate. We've got Sea Spray. All of this stuff was coming out in the 70s. So the question, why would people suspect the government was up to some sus stuff? Because they were. Well, and this was the decade, speaking in terms of decades, of the comeuppance for these agencies. The finding out. The finding out, exactly, where you have in mainstream America a sort of adorable, naive patriotism with respect to the FBI and the CIA in the 50s and 60s. This, um, gosh golly... They're the G-men. Yeah, but also they're nice. Like, they're not just... It's not just that we can trust them because they're our tough guys. They're actually good people who are loyal, patriotic citizens trying to do the the trying to do good in a dangerous world. Right, you tell your kid, "Now, little Johnny, if you get lost, right. and you find a CIA agent, you go with that CIA agent." Exactly. Whereas not by, knowing that they'd probably then enroll you in MKUltra. And so exactly by the by the end of the 70s certainly there's been a, a massive cultural shift in terms of how people view these government agencies and I think and I'm speaking off the cuff here a bit but I think it's after that that you get phrases like the government. Yeah. The government the does government this. You can't this. trust them. Yep. And this seems like something that is the end product of the finding out. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's what happens when you f around. So much bleeping in this episode. So Ed Sanders was one of the main writers pushing this new hypothesis that it was a government thing. And he was the guy that previously pushed the Satanist hypothesis. Okay. So he's just, whatever hypothesis you got, this guy will push it. Right. Uh, He had decided that the presence of helicopters made the government a more likely suspect than Satanists. And after all of these real horrors, like all that stuff we just listed is real. Yeah. The government did, the government did that stuff. (laughs) 
So Sanders argued that it was obvious that the American government was testing deadly weapons, and that's, that's why the mutilations. Oh, I see. Lethal bacteria, radiation weapons, microwave beams. Now, by 1977, just a year later, Sanders would move on to the Illuminati as a hypothesis. Right, of course. But there is a big problem with the government hypothesis. And it isn't that the government wouldn't get up to some sketchy, shady stuff, because, of course, they would and yeah, have yeah, and yeah. will. Yeah, that's what we find out in the 70s. But why would they need to kidnap cows? If they had the resources to buy a fleet of secret helicopters, why wouldn't they just buy cows? Well, that is a problem with the whole thing. Why not just buy them? Yeah. Like, right? They, they, they are, livestock is something that is bought and sold. The government would save a lot. The government. The government. Whatever agency is doing this would save a lot of money instead of flying helicopters over ranchers' fields and arbitrarily... How do they do the test then? Like you'd need to get the cow back into some kind of laboratory. That was the argument, that they were lifting them up, taking them away, experimenting on them, bringing them back and oh, dropping them off. Oh, they weren't even like using the agent on them in the field. No. They were actually bothering... To, so there's like cows strapped to the bottom of helicopters. Just flying being through the air. <laughs> like we already know if the military wanted to murder 600 puppies, they didn't sneak into dog parks... Right. They bought 600 puppies. Yes. So by the end of 1978, there had been a cluster of cattle mutilations in New Mexico. And Senator, and second last person to walk on the moon, Harrison Schmidt, was demanding that the Attorney General look into the matter. Okay. Now, there was one particular New Mexico state police officer named Gabe Valdez. Remember that name? And he was running the mutilation investigation. And he was hypothesizing that the cows were stolen in the middle of the night by being shot with a paralyzing agent, lifted by helicopters mutilated in some remote location, and then dropped back into their pastures. And Wait, why are we dropping them back in? Well, otherwise people notice they're gone. Okay. That doesn't make much sense. At which point you'd be like, my cow was stolen. Right, versus by... my cow was mutilated. Right, like because cow theft is a thing. It is. So that would make a lot of sense and make nobody suspicious. Right. We're, yeah, we're having some problems with this theory now. So Valdez argued that it must have been an inside government job, uh, and probably something about doing research into biological warfare. Although he also commented on the ritualistic aspect of the killings, which goes back to the satanic hypothesis. But because some of the New Mexico mutilations had occurred on Apache territory, which was considered federal land by the U.S. government, you know who's got jurisdiction to look into this now? FBI! The FBI. So now coming the, in after all. So now the FBI is like, ooh, we can do this. In the meantime, Senator Schmidt held a cattle mutilation conference in Albuquerque in April of 1979. And some experts testified at the conference claiming that the mutilations had been caused by occultists. Some testified it must be an inside government job. Some argued that they were just natural deaths and the alleged mutilations were just the result of efficient scavenger animals. And some argued that there must be an extraterrestrial aspect to the situation. Now, let's talk about this extraterrestrial aspect for a second. All right. Because sitting in the audience of the conference and becoming more and more convinced of the extraterrestrial hypothesis was a man who was about to head down a path that was going to lead to his eventual destruction. New Mexico, late 70s, a man who's about to get destroyed by beliefs in aliens. Benowitz? Yes. Whoa. Because Benowitz was into UFOs. Yeah. Like be before he picks up the signals, he's, he's kind of a member he's of the of, UFO he's into it, yeah. movement. Wow. It's just all intersecting it's, here. It, and it's going to get even more intersected. Longtime listeners absolutely know who Paul Benowitz is. We mention right. all the time. 
Give me Paul Benowitz in three sentences. American engineers subcontracting for the Air Force hears some radio signals he can't make sense of and is then the victim of a disinformation campaign by Special Agent Richard Doty and others, which leads to him believing, erroneously, that there was an alien invasion which he was supposed to help prevent and it destroys his life, it destroys his business, it destroys his family, and eventually it robs him of his sanity. Yeah, yeah, a chilling story. So the UFO hypothesis had been the first one to emerge back in 67 when Lady the Horse was discovered, but it had been overtaken in the 70s by occult and government explanations. But it shows up in the late 70s when the other two explanations kind of fizzle out. And many people return to this alien hypothesis now, including Paul Benowitz. Okay. And at the mutilation conference, Benowitz meets Officer Gabe Valdez, who is the New Mexico police officer who's been in charge of doing the research and has hypothesized that they're being picked up by, you know, helicopters and taken and mutilated and stuff. And the two exchange contact info. In the spring of 1980, a 27-year-old bank tower, allegedly named Myrna Hansen, calls a... Allegedly named. I'll get back to that. Interesting. Okay. Called a local police department in New Mexico claiming to have information about the cattle mutilations. That department, of course, contacts Gabe Valdez in Dulce, and Valdez contacts Benowitz. Wow. So Valdez arranges to have the police department drive Myrna Hansen the 200 miles to where Benowitz lives so the two of them could interview her. She told the men that her and her son had been driving through northeastern New Mexico late in the evening on May 5th when she saw two UFOs, one the size of two Goodyear blimps and the other slightly smaller and triangular. She was unable to remember what came next, and she said that she had some missing time during the drive. Take it late. I refer you to Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, the missing time, the the loss of memory. And of course, what are they going to suggest? What do you do with a UFO person who has missing time and can't remember stuff? Well, you do some hypnosis to uh, recover those memories. So Benowitz contacts a UFO group, and they suggest the men contact Leo Sprinkle, a psychologist who specialized in hypnotic memory recall who had already worked with over a dozen alleged abductees, including one who claimed to have witnessed a cattle mutilation on a UFO while she was abducted, Julie Durati, mm-hmm. who I'll talk about again in a second. Dr. Sprinkle would eventually conclude through hypnotic recall that he had also been abducted by UFOs when he was a kid. Uh-huh. So this guy is fully immersed in UFOs. Yep. So the men cover Benowitz's Lincoln Town Car with aluminum foil, to create a primitive Faraday cage to prevent her from potential alien beams, and they hypnotize her. And she remembers being... Wait, in the car? In the car. They hypnotize her in the car, surrounded by tinfoil. You gotta build a Faraday cage. What are you, new? (laughs) Does tinfoil work as a Faraday cage? Because isn't your car already a Faraday cage? Cars are Faraday cages, Right, which is why it's You can get hit by lightning. Right, exactly. That's the whole thing. I mean, tinfoil would... I built a a Faraday cage in one of my guitars. Of Of course you did. So, while under hypnosis, she remembered being taken aboard the UFO, being undressed and examined. And, again, a lot of this sort of Betty and Barney Hill stuff, which at this point had become extremely well-known. Right, because it was a bestseller. Yeah. And being hypnotized, does that guarantee that the person is going to have accurate recall? Oh, my goodness, no. Well, especially with recovered memories. Yeah. It really is a disaster. Especially in, when you're dealing with people who already think they know what happened. Yeah, and, and in fact, the evidence suggests that it works the other way, that hypnosis is the method by which you implant 
false memories. Yeah. Now, Benowitz then brings Myrna Hansen to James Harder, who had hypnotized Travis Walton, who was another abductee in the 70s. We did a whole episode on him. And they develop a procedure where they would take Hansen to a hotel room, hook her arm up to the grounding socket of a wall outlet, and then hold up an umbrella covered in tinfoil before hypnotizing her. Things are getting wild. They're going to get wilder. You know, I used to think that the tinfoil hat thing was a joke, a, a way of discrediting UFO believers. But now I'm starting to think that the tinfoil hat has some historical precedent to oh, it. I mean, there definitely is. There's a lot using, of tinfoil in these they're stories. They're using tinfoil to protect themselves from aliens. From alien beams. So Benowitz then worked with a filmmaker named Linda Moulton Howe, who was putting together a documentary titled A Strange Harvest about cattle mutilation. And Benowitz, Dr. Sprinkle, and Linda Moulton Howe hypnotized Judy Durati, the other person who said that she had been kidnapped by aliens, and filmed the results. Durati described long-robed aliens with huge slit-shaped eyes, burning eyes like the devil. Going back a little bit to the satanic stuff. The documentary was shown on May 25th, 1980, and won a regional Emmy Award. Now, by the end of 1980, Benowitz would come to the conclusion that there were massive underground alien bases in Dulce, and that aliens were abducting humans to put transmitters in their bodies to allow the aliens to have control over their victims. And of course, also by the end of 1980, Benowitz was meeting regularly with Special Agent Richard Doty, who was feeding Benowitz a steady diet of disinformation and had been doing that in the UFO community for at least a year previously which of course led to Benowitz's ultimate demise, tragically. Just a world of disinformation and lies and people trying to find the truth and just being stymied in that, like people who are going out with open minds trying to find the truth and having their open minds manipulated and yep. filled with lies and being used. I would say it's a combination of misinformation and disinformation. Now, Myrna Hansen, who, again, was hypnotized early on to tell the story of how she was kidnapped and the cattle mutilation and everything, would you say that is an example, her story is an example of good information, misinformation, or disinformation? Well, I think it would be a combination of misinformation and disinformation in the sense that she is misinformed, but, but some of the misinformation was, as you say, introduced as into the UFO community as disinformation. Yeah, by, the, by, Doty, and by others. Doty and other Air Force agents. Here's Be the thing. Yes, I was, I was going to ask you. There's a thing now. Okay. So Gabe Valdez, the police officer who was yeah. investigating all this stuff, yeah. his son now claims that Myrna Hansen was also part of this UFO disinformation campaign. Whoa. Stating that... It is a possibility that Myrna Hansen's story was also part of the disinformation campaign. I will go out on a limb here and say that the story of Myrna Hansen was probably a well-orchestrated hoax because of a very important fact, the listening devices found in my dad's house. The government heard all the conversations on the phone between my dad and Benowitz, so such a hoax would be relatively easy to accomplish. He was being taped without him knowing. Oh, wow. That can't be legal. No, I... <laughs> you can't see. I just made a face at least. <laughs> Although this evidence can barely be viewed as even circumstantial, it would explain a lot of things and how and why they transpired during the 1980s based on what we currently know. Okay. He's not saying, like, for sure she was a, an Air Force plant. But at this point, like, your paranoia has been justified over and over again. There's been listening devices found in your father's home. You know what happened to Benowitz. 
like this level of paranoia starts to make some sense. Sure. And this level of paranoia really starts to infiltrate that community and the conspiracy community in general. Like if I found listening devices in my home, I'm like, well, I guess it's all on the table now. Yeah, exactly. Like whatever anybody says, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that this is more plausible now because of all the other genuine shenanigans that have gone down. Yeah. So I'm not saying, and in fact, Gabe Valdez's son isn't really even saying that Myrna Hansen was definitely an Air Force plant. Okay. But he's saying, you know what? Maybe. Yeah. And you know what? at this point? I agree, maybe. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, I agree. Sure. As wild as that is, we know that it's possible because of what we know did happen. So now we're fully into, I would say, just the paranoia the suspicion, mm-hmm. the anything's possible. Like the conspiracy world is different now. Yeah. This is a different alien story than we had in the 50s and 60s. Now it isn't the government is protecting us from the aliens or the government needs to be warned from the aliens about changing their ways. Now it's like the government, the Satanists, the aliens, it doesn't even really matter who's carving up these cows. Yeah. Well, it seems almost like the government is in on it now. Yeah, and so they would have to be. And that's really interesting because if we think about, as you said at the beginning of the episode, if we think about aliens as a stand-in for the Soviets, say, so the aliens in the bad version of the story are the other, now our government is part of that other. The call it's, is coming from inside the house. Yes, exactly. And that's where the danger lives. The, the picture has changed such that they're the good guys, in as much as there are any, are the citizen victims. Yeah. And the organizations, the government, quote unquote, that's the enemy now. Now, is that going to have any consequences as we look forward over the next few decades from this moment? No, no, in no. The, this is going to end. Things are, things, are gonna, things are going to turn around. It's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, they're not, though. Lee is being sarcastic. <laughs> and it starts to make more sense. Sure. Like the things that we're going to get into, they all start to make more sense once you see like this story, I think. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. What was killing all those cows? Yeah. Um, I think I know the answer. Well, the FBI was off investigating it. And uh, there was a guy, Ken Rommel, veteran of the agency, and he did a very extensive investigation. And he came to the conclusion that... All of the mutilations investigated by me were caused by and totally consistent with what one would expect to find from normal predation, scavenger activity, and decomposition of a dead animal. Okay, so yeah. So, but what about all that, what about all the weird stuff? Like the the blood and the eyeballs and the the udders and everything. Well, what's the explanation for that? Well, for one thing, the parts of the cow that were removed were exactly those parts that a scavenger would go for first. So that's not surprising. Genitals. Yeah, because they are loose and flappy. Hmm. I don't know if that's staying in. <laughs> well, you, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, right. So it's it's things that, that scavengers would eat would be tongue, eyes, yeah. genitals, genitals, stomach. Stuff that's easy to get at. You know the idea that there was never any tracks around. Right. Rommel said there was often tracks around. Okay. And in fact, the ranchers would say, oh yeah, there were tracks around. And then Rommel would ask, well, then why did you say there were no tracks around? And the ranchers would say, we wanted this investigated. And okay. it seemed like the best way to get it investigated is if we kind of like, you know... Hyped it up a hyped bit. Hyped it up a little That's bit. That's really interesting. In other times when we've done an investigation like this, 
what we find is that the error comes in the reporting of it. So it's interesting here that they, the ranchers were actually leaning into this story a little bit so that they would be taken, weirdly, more seriously. So they would be taken more seriously because they, I mean, this was a serious thing for the ranchers. They were losing cattle. Right. And so it's like if I have to, like, you know, hype some stuff up, then that's fine. Because I was also wondering, this can't be the first time that these ranchers encounter something like this, right? Because if it is a natural phenomenon. And you do lose about 2% of your herd every year. Okay. Just to disease and to lightning strikes right. right in the middle of nowhere. So you do. So the question is maybe what they're experiencing, like in the Seattle windshield epidemic, is a perception in an increase in the amount of cattle that are dying. Yeah. Being. In fact, we'll get to that. In addition, foxes are great scavengers. Okay. And they're too light to leave prints, but they got sharp little teeth. Yep. And the blood wasn't missing. It was just. Because of gravity, it would settle to the lower half of the corpse, and then it would congeal. And what does what does animal blood congealed on a grazing surface look like after two or three days in the sun? I mean, would you notice it? Yeah, you like, know, would it, you? It would. It would dry. It, it things don't look like they do in movies. Is the thing? Ha! Huh. There you go. And so there is simply no concrete evidence to support the theory that mutilations are being conducted as experiments by highly skilled individuals using precision instruments. The facts cited to support this belief are at best questionable, and in many cases involve incredible flights of fancy. Which I think is exactly what we started to worry about when you walk through what it would actually mean for the government to abduct a cow, do some experiments on it using helicopters to bring it from one place to the other, fly it back again, Okay, if you actually play that out in your mind, that's a really unreasonable thing. Just, that It doesn't even make any internal sense. No. Yeah. Now, of course, conspiracists aren't primed to listen to the FBI. Mm. Nor should they be. Right? Understandably so. Nor should any of us be because of all the shenanigans the FBI has pulled. But there was also an independent study by two writers, Daniel Kagan and Ian Summers, and they started off believing the mutilation conspiracy hypotheses. Right. They were going in being like, oh, something is yeah. going on here. We got to figure it out. Yeah. But they were good researchers. Good. So after extensive research, they rejected those hypotheses and ended up with a similar conclusion to Agent Rommel. They discovered the number of alleged cattle mutilations had been wildly exaggerated. Oh, interesting. The number that was always thrown around was like over 10,000. Over yeah. 10,000. And like, yeah. that's so many cows. Yeah. They said that number was completely based on speculation and estimates and had nothing to do with the actual confirmed cases, which were much, much, much lower. And Kagan and Summers also argued that there were social reasons for the cattle mutilation panic. The trust in government was at an all-time low thanks to Watergate, the end of war in Vietnam, and all those, those realizations that people had about what the agencies had been doing. And the economy collapsed in 1978, just as mutilation rumors then start to pick up in frequency. Hmm. So they're saying, you know what? No, there's social reasons for this. Yep. Like there are, it's understandable that people were panicking. And then when you're faced with something grotesque, like a dismembered cow, it's like, there's got to be something sinister here. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, like this event, it's, it's sort of like a classic uncover up story because there is some shady shenanigans going on here. Right. There are some like weird campaigns being run by agencies in the military. There are people who are actually seeing stuff. There are people who are actually seeing stuff. And some of it might be... Hard to explain if you don't know, say, how yeah. scavengers and predation works in these populations. Yeah. So 
I mean, it, it all makes perfect sense. Classic uncover-up episode. And we're done now, right? Oh, well, I guess we're done with this episode. But no, we're not even done with this episode. Because we have other episodes. We have to go through the 80s. We have to get into the 90s. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's what's about to happen. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to react with surprise and shock. Okay. I'm going to ask you for an explanation for the shocking thing I've just said. Okay. You're going to come up with, I think, some pretty intelligent and well-informed speculations. Oh, flattery. You're going to Love be totally it. wrong. Okay. Let's, well. And me- then I'm going to tell you the truth. All right. And then we're going to end the episode in chaos. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes. The CIA was mutilating livestock. Ha! <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Why? Why was the CIA mutilating livestock in the 1980s? Okay. Okay. They were doing it mm-hmm. in order to lean into the disinformation campaign. It's a fantastic answer. That's a reasonable, well-educated... I would expect nothing less of you than to come up with something that reasonable and informed. But it's not the answer. No, you're totally wrong. Oh, okay, wait. Let me try again. You're going to take another swing? Okay, I'll let you take another swing. I bet you come up with another intelligent, well-informed explanation that will be wrong. Was it to test biological weapons? Again, makes perfect sense. God, I feel like I'm a UFO researcher in the late 70s and early 80s. Like, what the hell? If it's not to participate in a disinformation campaign, if it isn't actually part of some secret experiment that they are genuinely doing oh it is part of a secret experiment they're genuinely doing but it wasn't biological project sunstreak i had never heard of had you no okay so project sunstreak was a subproject of stargate no yes oh i should have gone there but here's the thing why are they mutilating okay, wait, wait, cows? Wait, wait, Project Stargate was our first episode. Yeah. So that was when the CIA is investigating whether psychic abilities were A, real, and B, could be weaponized in some way. Yeah, can we weaponize them? Stargate was an attempt to see if they could weaponize, like, uh, ESP. Yeah. If you could weaponize telekinesis. Yeah. If you could use telekinesis to, like, murder a person okay. by stopping their heart. To weaponize remote viewing, to send, rather than a spy into an enemy territory, you just send their spirit right. to float in. Right. Well, Sunstreak, protecting the future. This is They're not doing, like, reading of entrails, are they? No, they're not. <laughs> Which was, by the way, like an ancient method yeah. of trying to predict the future. So I just, I'm going to have you read from this redacted CIA memo that I got. There's an acronym here. Okay. AI, which of course to us means artificial intelligence. Right. But that's not what it means here. Okay. And I don't know what it means here. Ooh. I've that been trying sounds to figure like out a, a freedom month. of information request. If anybody has any ideas at home, email us what they think AI means in this context. So here, I'm going to have you read. This is the paragraph that derailed an entire week for me. Right. Okay. So as Nathan said, I'm going to read from a CIA memo, and it reads, Mission. Advanced training. The purpose of this session was to allow the viewer to experience a novel AI that associated with the death and mutilation of animals, and to understand how such AIs impact upon and possibly limit the degree of conscious sight event awareness. Okay, so to translate that, 
they're, they have these people who are there trying to look into the future. They're going to torture and mutilate animals to see if that interferes with their ability to look into the future. I don't even know what to say at this point. I mean... You can see why it torpedoed like a week of my life. I think this is going to torpedo a month of both of our lives now. It's just uh, so this is, this is this is what we have to talk about now. Um, and, and I also have a recording of one of the psychics who was clearly they were trying to interfere with the psychic's ability by mutilating animals. Why don't we end this episode with you reading the report that that psychic gave? Okay. Site was a flat, low, open, dry, warm, rocky, bleak area. AOL, like Nevada at night. The site consisted of a circular marked area. Associated with the site was the feeling of bad air, contamination, energetics, and radiation. AOL circle of death. Loud machine noises were present, as were a group of men who were waiting to do something orchestrated or planned. They started closing in on something, and each man was doing something. Lots of excited motion. They were scurrying, preparing, measuring. What they were doing caused strong AIs of queasiness, and the feeling that what was going on was very bad. What was introduced in the circular marked area is what caused the death. Associated with the word death were the concepts of the unmarked area, accidental this time, induced, scientific, and unnatural. AOL, chemical weapon, military. The men were not from the immediate area. They were from at least 50 to 100 miles away. The men came from low, rectangular, fenced buildings near hills. The buildings had more floors than visible with the eye, underground floors. Associated with the building was a strong sense of security, secrecy, hiding, and illegal activities. AOLs generated by the buildings were chem biowarfare, helicopter, military base, scientists, and the nuclear radiation symbol. Where does that sound like that psychic is describing? What area? 51. It sounds like Area 51. I have a question. Do you think the CIA was ritually murdering livestock at Area 51 and then getting these psychics to try to predict it? Now I do. Well, that's a hell so, of a thing. Sorry, now I do. Like, now I think I have to go through the catalog of our previous episodes and I'm like, no, we were wrong. In fact, the CIA was doing all of this stuff. Yeah. So we will come back to this. Okay. And then we will also, again, we'll come back to a lot of things. <laughs> 